1: Yo, what's up, Rotor Grinders, and welcome to Sharp DFS Analysis here on RotorGrinders.com. Uh, my name is Chris Tremino. I am the projected ownership analyst here at Rotor as well as a wearer of many hats, and joining me to go over the Week 13 NFL action from a biggest and advanced analytics standpoint. We've got two of the smartest guys in the business. We've got Chris Rabon, Senior DFS Editor at 44.com. Chris,
2: what's happening? What's going on, guys? Hope you all had a uh, good Thanksgiving, good, uh, good week and stuff, and uh, let's get back to it. Great week, great Thanksgiving. Uh,
1: looking forward to an even better week here in week 13. Also joining us, we've got Warren Sharp of sharpfootballanalysis.com and sharpfootballstats.com. Warren, what's going on?
3: Hey, guys. I think we got a better card this week, uh, at least in terms of games that I'm seeing some value than we have the past few weeks, so I'm looking forward to this Sunday.
1: Yeah, man. We got also more games this week. There's going to be a total of 15 yet to come, 13 on the DraftKings main slate, 14 on the FanDuel main slate. And, of course, we've got short slates to deal with, so a lot to talk about when we talk about week number 13. Uh, one of the things that we need to talk about every week, Chris, when we take a look at what's going on in DFS is the idea of cognitive bias or recency bias. It's something that affects basically everyone. Everyone's got biases and opinions, and you know to some degree you have to have that. You know, that that's kind of what makes you you. But the problem is with these biases that exist out there, you know, a lot of people tend to remember what happened most recently, and they tend to wait what happened in the recent past more so than the overall picture uh, of, uh, of analysis that can be presented to them on a week-to-week basis. So that presents a lot of problems. You can make a lot of mistakes that way. What, you know, in your mind, what are the pitfalls of recency bias, and you know, how do we avoid you know,
2: making those mistakes when it comes to what happened most recently? I think the pitfalls of recency bias is obviously that you're simply weighing the most recent information too heavily, um, more heavily than you should be. And I think the key to avoiding it, just like with any of the other cognitive biases, such as like anchoring bias, um, availability, heuristic bandwagon effect, like clustering, there's so many of these biases that you guys can just do a quick Google search and you can kind of find a pretty succinct definition of them all. But avoiding them really comes down to first just knowing they exist um you know knowledge is power that's kind of a cliche term but in this case I think it's true and once you're aware of them you just kind of have to question yourself and question your own um thinking and whether you, do you have these biases or not and in dfs I think it really kind of comes in where you can leverage that with ownership and the way you do that one of the ways anyway is I created something on four for four, I created a metric on, that we have on four for four called GPP leverage score. And what that does is it kind of takes stock of the whole slate and um, uh, it calculates a probability of each player hitting um, what we've deemed as a GPP value. And then it, it looks at, okay, based on the entire slate and all the players available, um, what, how much should each player um, be owned? Um, according to to what what the probability of hitting value is, and then you can and then the leverage score um, one it would be like average, and you know anything above one essentially says that a player is is going to be owned less than what his probability of hitting value would imply. So you can kind of just look at things like that and say there's always going to be a few players in a given week where you know the the public tends to flock to the top few options at, at each position, and then there's a bunch of players that kind of are in that middle tier of probability that they just kind of go a little bit under own compared to, to what their true expectation is, and you can kind of leverage that. And at the same time, there's always a few players that end up being chalk or end up being really high-owned. Maybe it's because um, they're in a good spot or it's because of recency bias. Or, you know, have, have a, They've had a couple of good games, but their ownership kind of really gets inflated, and it gets inflated to the point where their ownership is higher than what you know would imply, what would be implied from their their probability of hitting value in a given week. So you can kind of leverage those two things and kind of try to fade the players that are going to be a little more high owned than you think um, is accept is, is, is you know reasonable for its probability, and you can at the same time target players and go a little bit overweight on the players who you think are are under owned. I think that's really the best way to kind of attack recency bias and you know just also keep in mind that I actually did the correlate ran the correlations for each position and if you look at just the last game there's no correlation between a player's performance in his last game and his performance in his next game and even when you go three four games back there's still very little correlation for every position outside of running back running back tends to stabilize pretty quickly only because um, I guess they're getting so many touches, and you know, things kind of change quickly. If you have a back that got, let's say, 20 touches three games in a row, you can probably count on him getting a, a decent workout, unless he's you know benched or something like that. So, um, that, that's something to keep in mind. You know, receivers highly volatile, quarterbacks a lot of times matchup dependent, tight ends matchup dependent. So, the last game or the last few games is not necessarily going to, to tell you much. You really have to keep in mind other things like strength of schedule. Warren always talks about very important. You know, a player could have a a good streak, and it's simply due to uh, just a you know a strong strength of schedule. So, um, if you keep all those things in mind and just be aware of it, I think you can. It it kind of you kind of figure out yourself. Like it, it makes itself known how you can how you can benefit from it because you're going to just start to know and say, oh, hey, you know, this is probably recency bias, the reason why everyone's talking about this player so much or the reason I like this player so much. So um, just being aware of it, I think, is the, the key.
1: In any DFS sport, people will tend to look at what happened recently in terms of game log watching, and they'll try to make the assumption that something like a hot streak is real. But really what's behind a hot streak is a set of underlying metrics uh, related to his performance that are predictive, some of those things. Uh, may have told you that those performances weren't predictive. And it's really goes beyond looking at what happened most recently and just using that as a means to predict what will happen. Because like Chris said, he said there's really no correlation between what's happened as far as player performance and what will happen. So there's the underlying portions of research that ha- go into what happened in those games that really need to be focused on. One when you take a look at the betting markets, you know the books and the line makers have to be aware of public perception as far as where the public thinks these teams are, because they'll have an understanding of where, you know, the bets might go. I mean, maybe I didn't word that quite correctly, but there is definitely an element of understanding public perception and what happened most recently, I assume, in what you do. And how do you avoid, you know, certainly getting those biases yourself, and how do you exploit them when it comes to the totals you work with on a week-to-week basis?
3: It's a great question, and it's a great uh, topic to discuss, especially this part of the season. Um, Although, you know, weeks two and three are highly prone to recency bias, obviously, because we only have very, you know, we have very little data to work with. Um, But, you know, the key, at least for me, is to dig down into the underlying statistics of the final score, because a lot of people are prone to be swayed heavily Um, By what happened with the final score, you know who ended up winning this game uh, who covered the spread and that's all they care about Uh, a lot of the people out there don't have time or the resources to watch every single game that's being played simultaneously. So they are not going to and they're certainly sure as I'm not going to go back and rewatch the games. Um, We're talking about like average Joe public here so they they just look at the final score they like to bet on the primetime games they want to see hey joe flacco look like he struggled um on monday night against the houston texans wow the ravens should suck this week you know things like that um I'll give you another example like Brett Hundley with the Green Bay Packers, and this is where schedule comes into play as well. If you look at Brett Hundley, you might say, now granted he had a a good game last week, but you might look at him and say, wow, he hasn't been all that great. I'm not sure what he's going to do this week. This This team is just struggling with Hundley. He's not doing well. But if you actually look back right now where we sit here in week 13, take a look at the defenses that he's played. He has played nothing but top-half defenses. If you look at the Saints, the fifth best, the, he had a bye week, then he played the Lions, who are 14th. I'm talking against the past. The Lions are 14th, the Bears are 15th, the Ravens are 2nd, and the Steelers are 7th. We're talking about some ridiculously strong past defenses that Brett Hundley has faced. Now he gets to go up against the 30th ranked. Pass defense. So, if you were just and, and granted, it's not a, a great point to make right now because he did have a nice game last week. But if you're just to look at him and say, "Wow, he's not doing all that great," um, but without taking into context the schedule, you know, you're going to be missing out, and your your bias against what you just saw recently and what you think of Brett Hundley intuitively uh, are going to be hurting you when you're trying to handicap and forecast what's going to happen this upcoming week. So. Um, Definitely public, you know, the books obviously look at what the public is thinking on games and they're lining the games, but, but the reality is they're lining the games on what they think the line should be, but they are shading it a little bit to the forecasted action that they believe they're going to get. And some games are going to be completely one-sided um, where they're going to absolutely need a team. And I can tell you sure as hell example of what we're going to see this Sunday night they are definitely going to need Seattle in this game because much like the Philadelphia Eagles were completely bet by the public and even the sharps at the beginning of the week when they went down to Dallas and just absolutely annihilated Dallas a couple of weeks ago, the public is all over the Eagles in this spot out in Seattle. So, um, you know, they know what the public thinks. The public loves what they just saw. I will throw in there real quick before we wrap it up, um, that the public has been crushing it of late. I mean, the last four or five weeks in the NFL have been absolutely uh, just terrible for those guys who are betting underdogs. And, you know, I was talking to Evan Silva about this a little bit ago, um, you know, on on one of the other shows that we do together. And the book, the hard part is when you are betting like we do and, and, and my group does, we're going to be betting opposite the public. I mean, we're going to need to be rooting for bad quarterbacks. We're going to need to be rooting for bad teams because there is, you may win going the other way, but there is no value. There's no value in betting on some of these overinflated favorites. Of course, they're the better team. Of course they have the better quarterback. That's why they're the favorite. And then they're being shaded beyond reasonable measure because they know the public is coming in on these teams. Um, so at one point, whether it's this week, I hope it is, or in a near future, the underdogs are going to start barking once again. Um, and and all the recency that the public keeps betting Philadelphia and covering the spread and rolling it over and rolling it over. Like, I'm not saying I'm on Seattle at this moment, but what I am saying is that that's going to be a side that the, the books need is Seattle. And that's generally what you want to align yourself with. If you're betting on games is, is sides that the books may need. Um, while doing your due diligence and making sure that that's a side that you agree with as well. But th- it is absolutely vital to try to avoid recency bias and cognitive bias um, and-, and just view things as objectively as possible and understanding the context of how people are scoring these, you know, how the players are scoring these points and how the games are at ultimately landing in the final score. One last example, the Carolina Jets game does absolutely – a ridiculous final score. The Jets had that game locked up. They gave up a defensive, uh, I think it was a fumble touchdown, then a punt touchdown, um, and they end up losing the game, what it looks like by a wide margin in Carolina covers. But uh, the actual game itself was far different than, uh, than what the final score indicated.
1: Pay attention to it. Know it's there. You know, a lot of biases, as Chris mentioned, uh, for you to be researching and figuring out whether or not your analysis on a player is being affected by something other than, the information that's being presented to you for his matchup, his situation this week. You know, obviously bias is going to exist. You're not going to get rid of it all, but you need to just make sure that you're avoiding having a tremendous deal of recency bias, cognitive biases of all sorts when you're making your DFS decisions. All right, guys, let's check out some of the games that are going on this week and try to figure out where we think there's an advantage to be had, either from a total perspective or a spread perspective in week number 13. High total games this week, there aren't any. Uh, So that section was really quick. As far as low total games are concerned, we've got Indianapolis and Jacksonville, I think qualifies uh, Denver, Miami, San Francisco, Chicago, but pretty much everything else is somewhere in the middle. So Chris, when you take a look at all these middling totals for the week, where do you think we can actually find a secret high total buried in there?
2: I think this green Bay, Tampa Bay game is one that I'm looking at and particularly because I think green Bay can have more success than um, they're being given credit to in the line. Um, Warren kind of started to allude to it. The Tampa Bay defense is just not has just not been very good. and this is especially true when they go on the road. I know we've talked about this on this show before, but Tampa Bay on the road, um, this season is allowing three hundred and eleven passing yards per game and two touchdowns per game at home. they're pretty okay. They're allowing only two sixty two passing yards in one point two passing touchdowns per game. So um, big discrepancy there. They really struggle on the the road and their road games haven't exactly been against a murderer's row. I mean, they did play Atlanta and Minnesota um, in New Orleans. They also played Buffalo and Arizona and Miami. Um, And at home they played the Bears, the Giants, with all of their receivers healthy, the Patriots, the Panthers, with Benjamin and Funchess in the lineup, and and the Jets, which have proven to be a pretty decent offense. So uh, the strength of schedule isn't crazy tilted to where there should be such a discrepancy. Um, yet it is. And, you know, overall, Tampa Bay, one of the worst uh, pass defense. If you look at uh, DVOA, their 30th in pass defense and, you know, just not really having a lot of success. And on the other hand, you have Brett Hundley, who you know, we got to remember, he is still a quarterback in his you know, getting his first real starting experience. Um, in two of his last three games, he's had a passer rating of 110 or higher. Um. He also had, you know, I know people know about the the 245 yards and three touchdowns last week against Pittsburgh, but he also had uh, 110.7 passer rating, um, 18 of 25, 72% completion, 212 yards and a touchdown against the Chicago Bears in Soldier Field in a win for the Packers a couple of weeks ago. So I think this is a really good matchup for him, and given his price on, on DFS sites and the way a slate is kind of breaking down, where um, we actually have like a a plus value. Uh, plus minus value metric over at four for four where we don't really like to look at points per dollar because that's not looking at like a winnier multiplier like that is not always going to tell you what, what's going on um, with value. But so instead we look at kind of this plus minus. And if you look at the quarterbacks, you're going to see uh, the, 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 the top projected quarterbacks in terms of raw points, Tom Brady, Phillip rivers, those guys are all on the bottom five in terms of, of value. Whereas you see guys like Brett Hundley coming up on top, at, the, at their lower salaries, it's just one of those weeks where um, it, it's, there's not as much value. You know, the, 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 I'll, I'll say it this way. The, the, uh, the top quarterbacks on the slate have been priced appropriately, maybe even a little too high this week. And so given that, given that you know, I think you really do want to look at Brett Hundley in this matchup. And I think the, the Green Bay Packers can score some points in this matchup. Devontae Adams having a lot of success. The Buccaneers are 32nd dead last in, in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed. Uh, two wide receivers. Um, They they haven't been good against the run. They're allowing 31.2 points per game overall on the road. That's 30th in the league. Um, So, just a lot to like, I think, on the Green Bay side. I will say this, if you're, you know, the the total opener, I believe it was 43, and it got bet up to 45, so I don't know if there's as much value if you're just straight up betting on the total, and now there has been bet up a little bit, um, you know, there are some concerns about Tampa Bay on the other side of the ball. They are going to be without DeMar Dotson and Ali Marpet. That's their, uh, one of their tackles on their center, and both of those guys are in the top six of, of their grades at their respective positions um, in pro football focus grades, so um, that's going to be tough for Tampa Bay but at the same time Green Bay has really struggled to defend wide receivers they are 31st in schedule just fantasy points allowed a point lot allow of the wide receivers so you still have Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson you have James Winston coming back so there should be you know enough to kind of uh, get some offense on both sides in this game
1: yeah and you know one thing that might help Tampa Bay as far as those linemen being out is the fact that looks like Kevin King is, you know, he's questionable at best to be out there this week. I don't really expect to see him out there. So you're going to have a cornerback who couldn't get on the field over King over like Quentin Rollins over all these guys who rate so poorly in, you know, all these cornerback metrics that are out there you know, trying to cover a guy like Mike Evans or Deshaun Jackson. So there's going to be some opportunity to, to make up for that, that pass rush. If, uh, you know, things don't quite work out there in that respect. Hopefully Jameis is back and playing well and and able to be elusive of any kind of pass rush that's there. I do think that this is a game that I'm very much interested in as well, and I like to take here as far as a game that could go over the implied total right now. Warren, lots of games out there left. We have 15 total to choose from here. Any other games that you've looked at as a potential spot where there could be some value?
3: Um, yeah, we got on, I put out a total and we bet it, uh, earlier in the week, it's kind of gotten away a little bit. So I'm not going to discuss that one, but I'm going to talk about another game that I also got on that, uh, has not moved quite as much. So there could be a little bit of value still remaining. Uh, it's one, it's in one of the low total games that you were discussing that people might otherwise overlook, but it's the Denver Miami game. And, um, to understand this game, this is where you have to understand context because I think uh, with with uh, cognitive bias, a lot of people think that Trevor Simeon just sucks. I mean, he's 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 terrible. That's why he got benched, um, and he's a no good quarterback. But the reality is, I'm not going to say the guy's like uh, a Pro Bowler, but he's better than what they've had in there, um, no doubt about that. Uh, but take a look at you know what this what this kid did. Um, started out the season three and one had a bye week and came out against the New York Giants. And in that game, he didn't have a great game, but he threw a pick six and he tried to tackle the guy running out of bounds. uh, I think it was Janoris Jenkins and injured his shoulder. Now think about from the perspective of Trevor Simeon, like you're a backup type guy. Your team has other quarterbacks that they're trying to get in there. Um, So you're going to try to tough it out. So he goes back into the game obviously finishes poorly the next week. I mean, they have the option to start Brock Osweiler who Denver then who Denver acquired. Uh, They also have Paxton Lynch there. So Trevor Simeon toughs it out and he toughs it out. Keep in mind in that giants game, they lost um, Emmanuel Sanders in the game and they lost uh, their right tackle in the game. Um, So they were down those two guys. So the next week, guess who they play the LA chargers who have a great pass rush um, also, Demarius Thomas was banged up in that game. His ankle was injured. He caught only two passes for nine yards, and they, they got they got blown out, 21 to nothing. Trevor Simeon was not healthy. His shoulder was still messed up and sore, but he was trying to keep his starting roster spot. And the next week, they go and play the Kansas City Chiefs. Again, without Emmanuel Sanders, Demarius Thomas is starting to get a little bit healthier, but they still lose that game 29-19. to 19. Then, And those three pass defenses, they're not – great i mean the chargers are great but the other two aren't great but they're much better than who they're going to face in the miami dolphins they then bench him and they let brock take a couple of starts then they put paxton lynch in there last week another key thing happened in before last week's game was that they fired their offense coordinator and promoted bill musgrave from the quarterbacks coach his obviously first game was not very good trying to craft a game plan um even though it was against the Oakland Raiders with a very uh inexperienced quarterback at paxton lynch they now have a, a clean slate trevor simeon's back in there with something to prove bill musgrave is in there with something to prove they have both of their wide receivers fully healthy ready to go and the other key factor here and i know this is a lot of narrative type stuff but the head coach for denver is vance joseph the defensive coordinator for the miami dolphins just last season he knows which guys get beat on double moves. He knows where how you 're going to block that offensive line uh, sorry that defensive line best to give your quarterback a little bit more protection like anything he can get from his year with the Miami Dolphins he is going to take and put into this game plan in desperate need of a victory um, so i haven 't really even talked about a ton of the matchups here, but um, there 's a lot of things that go into this game that I think have edges towards production for the Denver Broncos offense Um, the Miami Dolphins pass defense is just not very good it's going to be the easiest pass defense that Trevor Simeon and the the Broncos collectively together have faced since way earlier in the season Um, on the other side of the ball I think Miami is going to have a little bit of success with the short passing game. I envision them having a similar type of game plan like they did against Carolina, who has a better pass rush than what Denver has this year. Against Carolina, it was a lot of short, quick passes. Miami put up 21 points in that game. They still lost, but 21 points would go a long way to getting this game over a very low total that still sits at 39, 39 and a half. Um, In addition, you've got some other edges that favor uh, the Miami dolphins, the, uh, Denver's without a Talib. Denver's also without, um, uh, Peko who's anchoring the number one run defense and Denver's past defense only ranks 19th this year. They're not nearly as good as what they were in years past. Now they're without, you know, their number one cornerback in Tlaib. So, um, there's some edges here. I mean, Chris Harris still a great slot corner, um, He'll probably match up with Jarvis Landry. But for the other guys, I think that there's some edges there. And um, you know, I'm not I'm not predicting like a 20, 28 to 30 final score or something like that, but 39 and a half, 39, it's not a high total that you have to get over. So uh, I think there's a little bit of value still in this number.
1: That should be reassuring for some people in the DFS world who are out there looking at some underpricing on guys like Sanders and Thomas at the wide receiver spot uh, getting uh, – quality wide receiver cornerback matchups uh, with guys like Tankersley and Howard this weekend. I think that there is some reason to be encouraged by the idea that Simeon uh, could possibly be, you know, a victim of some of that recency bias we talked about. And we haven't seen him uh, do a lot recently. And therefore, you know, we're going to automatically label him as a guy who is potentially risky and maybe the players that's associated with him as risky. So I do like, uh, you know, applying that knowledge as far as the toll concerned over to DFS the idea that there could be uh, enough in the way of production from the Denver side to make those guys viable. And you did mention that, you know, the Miami passing game does have a chance too with the absence of Talib. Uh, I'm not ready to make a statement that I'm going to be completely all in on any of these Dolphins guys, but I do think you mentioned they have a chance, and I think that that's clearly a reasonable way to think when it comes to week number 13. Chris, when you take a look at some of these uh, favorites that are out there this week, uh, there's certainly always favorites that you know like like Warren said the public's been just smashing lately some of these public teams that have been favorites and you know just been doing really well but when it comes to someone who might struggle this week I think you gave me a couple of ideas who you might turn to on that respect what's your favorite
2: yeah I think the uh, Chicago Bears may struggle Um, this is probably a game not too many people were thinking about they are at home They actually opened as five and a half point favorites over the San Francisco 49ers right now that's sitting at only three points. So it looks like uh, they have been, uh, people have been uh, betting on the 49ers and I kind of agree with that. I think that, you know, you look at San Francisco and the first thing you kind of see is, okay, this team has a terrible run defense. I got to start Jordan Howard. You know, the bears run the ball. This is a perfect matchup for them. They can just crush home favorite, but actually, over the last uh, five weeks, you know, going back to week eight, San Francisco is actually 12th in run defense success rate. If you look at uh, sharpfootballstats.com, they're actually 12th in run defense success rate. They're 20th on a season, but 12th over their, their, these last uh, four games since week eight. And the, so, you know, that, that's the first kind of red flag. And then you look at Chicago, on the other hand, and over that same span since week eight, Chicago is 23rd in run defense success rate. 29th in pass defense success rate and that's a big drop from what they were doing earlier in the season they have had some tough matchups but this defense really hasn't been as good Um, it, it coincides somewhat with their safety Adrian Amos being injured he is going to be out this week he is PFF's number two rated safety kind of holding things together on that back end and without him in there uh, this defense hasn't been as good. They will get Danny Trevathan back, which will help. But I do think that you know you have Jimmy Garoppolo in here. We don't know too much about Jimmy Garoppolo um, as an NFL starter, but what we do know. I mean, he's had ninety-five attempts in this league, and he has a one ten point one passer rating, sixty-seven point seven completion rate, seven four yards per attempt, six touchdowns, no interceptions. So you know this is this might actually be a pretty solid quarterback um, that that the San Francisco that San Francisco is putting out there we know they have Kyle Shanahan and, you know, pretty good offensive coordinator. If he has a good quarterback, I know Jimmy hasn't been in the system all that much, but I don't necessarily think that that's a negative. When you think about it from the perspective of Chicago really has nothing to go off of, to game plan, to prepare for with Garoppolo either. And when you have a smart OC like that, I think you can um, kind of use that to your advantage. I don't think it's necessarily a, a detriment. So, For all those reasons, I think, I don't think the Chicago runs game is going to have quite as much success as people may think. And, you know, Chicago really hasn't been doing a good job of consistently getting their best playmaker, Tariq Cohen, onto the field. He'll have a a game where he touches the ball maybe eight, ten times, and then he'll go back to touching it three, four times in the next game. So we really, they really haven't been able to incorporate him consistently. And... Uh, it's really it's it's been it's been a tough goal for for that team for that passing game they don't really have good coaching we know that you know John Fox and just another little edge for San Fran if you're looking at the 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 point spread or whatnot is you know if this game comes down to to a field goal kick or something like that San Francisco actually has Robbie Golds who kicked in Soldier Field for a number of years so they are forecasting 13 mile per hour wins in Chicago in Soldier Field for this game, but Robbie Gold, the, the 49ers kicker, has a lot of experience kicking in these very factors. He made a great career out of doing it for a number of years, so um, I, I think San Francisco has a lot of edges in these game. I like Marquise Goodwin. Um, he's He's been averaging about 20 yards depth of target, and I mentioned you have Adrian Amos out. Um, I think Marquise Goodwin ha- has a good shot at getting behind the defense, and he's going to have a, a quarterback that should be more accurate than the last two quarterbacks he's played with, Brian Hoyer and C.J. Beathard, so... Um, I don't think that this is a gimme at all for, for Chicago, despite San Francisco being a one in 10 um, team.
1: So a couple of questions related to the narrative uh, that you're describing right now, as far as how the flow of this game could go with potentially the bears struggling uh, for DFS purposes. Now, if let's say, you know, there is some success to be had from Garoppolo uh, and, and Marquise Goodwin, uh, is there any potential uh, catch up time? I don't want to call it garbage time because I don't think this game's going to be a blow up, but, would, would it be, you know, passing game, which we're not used to seeing from Chicago being in play here, because most people are looking at, like you said, Jordan Howard in the run game. Is there anything on the Bears side that you could bring it back with if you thought that San Francisco could have a successful
2: game moving the football? Yeah, there. I think if, if you're just looking at dollar for dollar plays on the Chicago Bears, I know most people are looking at Jordan Howard, but I think Dontrell Emman's probably the best uh, dollar for dollar play on that team. Over these last three games where he's been a Chicago Bear, Dontrell Inman has been their number one wide receivers. He has five more targets than any other um, Bear over that three-game span, 109 more receiving yards than any other Bear over that span, and 159 more air yards than any Bear receiver over that three-game span. So Dontrell Inman, 35% share of the Bears air yards over these um, past uh, three weeks, and that's pretty high total um, for any receiver over a third. So if you get into a situation where the Bears have to throw, and that's what's going to have to happen because, you know, that 35% air yard share is not really going to mean much if they hardly throw the ball. But if the, if they are throwing the ball, we've already seen Emman go over 60 yards a couple of times, you know, two out of three games. So I think there's definitely some value to be had in Dontrell Inman, and that's that's really where the 49ers have been struggling. You know, they've, they've lost one of their safeties. They've lost a couple of their safeties, Uh, To injury their cornerback, they traded Rashard Robinson. They've really struggled kind of at the cornerback position, and over these since week eight, they're 23rd in pass defense success rate, 12th in run. So the pass has actually kind of been their weakness, and um, that's that I think just from a value perspective. You know, Jordan Howard's been priced up a little bit um, on on both sites, especially on Sandal So I think from a value perspective, Inman is probably you know a better dollar for dollar uh, value play in this game
1: would be an interesting way to go if you're kind of fading the public a little bit here. I don't think that'll be a popular or highly owned situation in DFS whatsoever. Uh, Warren, when you take a look at the rest of these, you know, these totals out there, like I said, you know, not a ton of uh, high totals, not as far as the spreads are concerned. There's really a lot of spreads that are between, you know, like right in that three range. Is there any one of those particular spreads that you think is either, off in favor of the underdog, or is there anything that stands out as unusual?
3: Um, yeah, you actually mentioned uh, kind of the range that I'm, I'm actually looking at here to go with this one, um, and that is uh, I like the Jets. I like the Jets. I think they're going to win the game. I mean, that's that's a little bit perhaps aggressive, but um, like I said before, they, they possibly should have beaten the Carolina Panthers last week. Um, they're playing great football right now but extremely underrated they've lost back-to-back games they've lost god what is it six of their last seven games something like that um but i'm i'm selling kansas city uh i think that's that's not a surprise that a lot of people are down in kansas city especially after what they did um last week uh dropping the game at home to buffalo um, i think if they can't if kansas city like the biggest issue that i just I can't understand and I am assuming it's just because the offensive line isn't playing well, but they're not hurt. Uh, They're actually healthier than they were to start the season. Um, They can't run the the football. You know, Kareem Hunt is is at some times he's not getting enough touches. Other times he's just not doing anything with the touches. And if they can't run at home against the Buffalo Bills bad run defense, keep in mind what we were talking about heading into that game was how the Buffalo Bills run defense was so terrible last few weeks after getting rid of Marcel Darius. Uh, they still have the same run defense, but they go in there and they once again shut down Kareem Hunt. He's not going to get it done in New York against the Jets and their run defense, which right now is like the strength of that defense. Um, conversely, what what is one of the biggest things that's been burning the chiefs of late? Um, it's explosive passes. Their explosive pass defense has been very bad on the season. Um, let's see, they rank 24th, uh, but The last few weeks, they've played teams who are terrible at explosive pass offense so far this year. If you look at their last three games, the Cowboys ranked 29th, the Giants ranked dead last in the NFL, and the Bills ranked 23rd. Now they're going up against the Jets, who rank 8th offensively in explosive pass offense a big shock to their system, I think the Jets are going to be able to push the ball down the field. Robbie Anderson, um, I think they're going to have some success there. And if they can get the run game going just a little bit to help supplement and augment that, um, I think they've got a great chance of grinding the Chiefs down. You know, The Chiefs, I've been talking about this for the last couple of years, they are a great they're a great like regular season team and they usually play great in games like this against mediocre offenses, poor defenses, like in years past they will come in here and limit the jets to like 13 points and, and, and win like a 16 to 13 type game. But we, we thought we saw them changing. And we also thought that, you know, this was a team that could be capable of um, doing better things in the playoffs when they actually faced some good offenses because of how aggressive their offense was getting. But That just has not been the case ever since they couldn't run the football. They're not taking the deep shots down the field. There's a lack of confidence or urgency in pushing the ball down the field and having a lot of success in that. Um, So I I think the Jets' offense here uh, has a pretty good shot at, you know, the the defense can contain that sort of uh, neutered Chiefs' offense a little bit, and then the Jets' offense can get a little bit aggressive on their own. I think they've got a good shot here
1: uh stumbled upon something on your website today, Warren, called Playoff uh, Success Factors Matrix, and uh, it, this factors in explosive passing, rush efficiency, pass rush, red zone efficiency factors that lead to contributing to you getting to the playoffs and also succeeding in the playoffs, and Buffalo Bills are dead last in that metric, and they just defeated the Kansas City Chiefs last week, uh, a team that was beaten pretty handily by the New York Jets not too long ago, so... Uh, certainly, this take as far as the Jets uh, defeating the Kansas City Chiefs, I, I would not consider it a hot take based on uh, what I've seen from those teams recently and then recognizing we don't want to just focus on what's happened recently. There's a lot of other factors baked in there that you know, lead me to believe that that's a, you know, an excellent take as far as what could be transpiring here this weekend. So look for uh, the Chiefs to struggle yet again if Warren is correct.
3: Yeah, and actually, uh, just to interrupt you real quick, the Chiefs actually ranked very low on that matrix. When I first built that thing uh, up at Sharp Football Stats, that was one of the first takeaways is, you know, I'm just taking four key metrics and putting them up there, and these do correlate well to success, especially getting to and winning in the playoffs. And they were one of the teams who was slotted to make the playoffs but was very low um, in this index. And they've obviously been trending even worse. You know, this is year-to-date data but the recent trends we talked about looking at recent trending stuff before has been worse
1: all right chris now it's time to take a look at what's going on with offensive analytics that can help us in week number 13 Uh, looking around the league what have you kind of found most interesting as far as dfs is concerned as a way that we can possibly take advantage of some analytics and metrics
2: well you know looking at todd Gurley's matchup against the arizona cardinals at first glance we, you know, we all know they have a strong run defense, you know, fourth and run defense DVOA. But, uh, you know, I think there's really an edge to be had for Gurley in the receiving game against the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, over the last five weeks, the Cardinals have allowed 9.3 Well, over the last four games, I should say. It's been five weeks, but over the last four games, they've allowed 9.3 catches per game to running backs. That's tied for most in the league. And on the season, they have allowed 68 catches to running backs. That is uh, tied for fourth most in the league. So they're giving up a ton of production uh, through the air to running backs. And I think that helps give Gurley a higher floor and a higher ceiling. You know Gurley is third in the league in receiving yards among running backs. And we also know Robert Woods, who was – their number one receiver for the Rams. He's going to be out. They're going to need to to, to, to to put those targets somewhere. And we're going to have Sammy Watkins probably get locked down by Patrick Peterson in this game. So that should free up a few more targets even once you account for somebody like Cooper Cup or, or Josh Reynolds or somebody like that who kind of stepped up last week. You're still going to have some more targets to go around. I think Todd Gurley is, is, is the guy that's going to get them. And Arizona's run defense hasn't quite been as strong as of late. If you go back over those last four games, they are only 16th in run defense success rate, actually have been better against the pass, They're seventh in pass defense success rate. So I don't think this is a prohibitive matchup for Gurley at all. I actually think it's a really high ceiling matchup for him. We kind of saw that last time these teams played 87. When they, uh, in London, Gurley carried the ball 22 times for 160 yards and a touchdown, also caught four passes for a good amount of yardage in that game as well. So I think this is a good spot. For Ty Gurley, who you know among backs, you know that are still active, you know not counting Ezekiel Elliott, you know Gurley's in the top three in touches per game. He's in the top three in, in snaps, snap rate. So um, Ty Gurley, I think, in, in another one of these these really good spots, um, even though the the defense might not jump out at you on paper.
1: Yeah, I just want to share like a tiny amount of concern I have for Cooper Cup this week. It's not a big concern. I think he'll probably get volume, probably a good play in DFS. But when I looked at the numbers for Tyrion Mathau covering the slot uh, in more recent week. His numbers have been going upwards. He has a lot of pass breakups. Doesn't have a lot of touchdowns in his coverage this season. Wow. And you know, Tremont Williams, for some unknown reason, has been playing pretty well, yeah. uh, which would kind of take care of Reynolds. And you, of course, you got Patrick Peterson on Sammy Watkins. So if I look around at the matchups, and Sean McVay will find a matchup that he likes somewhere in there. You know, it's kind of. It's almost got to be you're debt. You're down basically to Gurley or or a couple of those athletic tight ends as a means to get it done here. You know, obviously, you know, tight ends not a fantastic spot to target against Arizona. So it does make a lot of sense that in the passing game that Gurley could have some involvement this week if they expect to find success. Not that you can't have success against Mathow. I guarantee it. As a matter of fact, you you will see Cooper Cup get targets and he'll probably have a decent game here. But I like to take here that Gurley could be in a good spot for production. Just following that logic that I found when I was doing my wide receiver quarterback research this week. Uh, Warren, as you're taking a look at the landscape here, uh, week number 13, offensive analytics or an offensive matchup that you like?
3: Um, I'm going to fade recency bias uh, here. We'll talk about another running back, but sort of going against one of the games Chris was talking about. um, Not that I disagree with his take, but just a player in the game. And that's uh, Jordan Howard. If you look at the, Defenses the offenses that the 49ers have faced of late. Sorry, the run offenses that the 49ers have faced. Um, last week, they played the Seattle Seahawks. Don't, have, don't even have a run game. I mean, Eddie Lacey was their dude. Um, the Giants before that, again, like they're 25th in the league in rushing efficiency. And the week before that, the Arizona Cardinals, who are 31st in rushing efficiency. They have played just two teams, have the 49ers all year, that rank top half in run de- run offense, and that's the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys, and both of them completely shredded this team. Where this gets to recency bias is the Philadelphia Eagles absolutely slaughtered the Bears last week. I mean, took a humiliating, uh, just lost right on the top of John Fox's head. And right now, I think Jordan Howard, look, if you look at what he's done against mediocre to poor run offenses, run defenses, he's been phenomenal. Uh, They haven't played very many of them this year. Uh, They've played, I mean, since week three. I mean, every single – they have played seven games, seven of their nine games since week three have been against top ten run defenses, just not even top half, like literally inside the top ten in terms of run defense. Um, The San Francisco 49ers obviously have not. Uh, Their defense has played, like I just mentioned, a very easy schedule of opposing rushing offenses. And the last time that Jordan Howard faced a team – who wasn't great running, uh, stopping the run. That was the Detroit lions who ranked 23rd. He went, I think 15 for 125, scored a touchdown, averaged 8.3 yards per carry Uh, very high success rate as well. Not just he broke a 50 yarder, but he was also solid on those other 14 rushing attempts. Um, The 49ers ranked 22nd and the 49ers 22nd ranked run defense comes against the NFL's easiest schedule of rushing offenses this year. So, um, completely fading, you know, what we saw last week out in Philadelphia, I think Jordan Howard could be in for a big game on the ground.
1: Uh, Playerprofile.com has a game script metric that basically tries to describe the situations in which a player has uh, been getting his opportunity. And 28th is the ranking for Jordan Howard here, as far as the Chicago Bears are concerned, in game script It's not a good situation most of the time when he's seeing the ball. I I do want to say that I don't think that Chris is – uh, analysis that the Bears could struggle is necessarily mutually exclusive with Jordan Howard having a good game uh, certainly one way that Jordan Howard could have a good game is the Bears play their traditional game and you know it's a it's a run heavy approach but I just you know just because of his role in that offense and number six in dominator rating on playerprofile.com, uh, as far as Jordan Howard is concerned just that having you know that kind of opportunity within an offense could you know inherently allow him to produce even if the Bears do struggle so I don't I do like the idea that Jordan Howard could have success this week. I haven't necessarily landed on whether or not I'm going to have a heavy exposure to him in DFS this week, but I do think that it is a completely logical take to have that this is a situation where he could succeed. Uh, Chris, what do you think about the, about Warren's Jordan Howard take? And then uh, if you don't have anything on that, what have you got as far as a uh, follow-up to that?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think definitely, you know, again, when you look at it, you know, Jordan Howard's in a spot to succeed, you know, home favorite going against, a team that has given up a lot of rushing production. Um, I'm just not bullish on the Bears' chances of, I guess, you know, getting that that kind of game script to where he's going to truly have a, a smash spot. Um, even against Detroit, where he he did very well. Uh, he only had, I believe, it was 15 carries in that game. So um, he, he kind of he kind of needed like a couple of big runs to, to 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 make that happen. And another thing, you know, I know people are looking at you know San Francisco's production, just fantasy production allowed to running backs um a lot of that has kind of come in the in a passing game as well um you know they gave up uh was it 100 a bunch of yards to Ezekiel Elliott um, over 100 yards to to Chris Thompson um 86 yards to to Andre Ellington so there's a lot of there's a lot of um things in there to that I think are a little bit noisy so i mean i wouldn't be surprised if Jordan Howard had a big game I and mean, this is you know home favorites are when a team or back will usually exceed expectations and kind of go into those smash spots um i'm just kind of i guess going a little against the public in this one. And, you know, I I feel like this is a game the bears could struggle in that the the, the 49ers could have a little more ball control than maybe you're used to seeing um, them have. So that's, that's all I think. But as far as a, a, another player that I think could struggle um, the new England pass defense has gotten a lot better uh, as of late. And it's not recency bias. It's pretty much um, ever since, you know, kind of after that first month of the season, the Patriots first four games, they, were, they allowed 128 points over those first four games. In the seven games they played since, they've allowed 98 points. So they allowed more points. They allowed uh, 30 more points in the first four games than they allowed in their next seven. And that's kind of been a direct result, uh, I think, anyway, of their pass defense. Um, it, it, it's really improved. They, they haven't had a, a quarterback uh, pass for more than 237 yards or one touchdown in, in any of their last five games. So I know uh, some people out there are making a, a case for Tyrod Taylor in DFS, I think a lot of that's to do with how cheap he is and, and the fact that he has usually plays better at home. But I, I don't think this is a great spot to play him against the, these New England Patriots who are starting to click on all cylinders. You're starting to see Malcolm Butler and Stefan Gilmore be able to play man coverage and lock, lock people down. And we know Belichick knows how to game plan. You know, a lot of the Bill's success passing has been on first down, schemed, plays where if those plays work they have some success and they can move the ball but Bill Belichick I think is one of those guys that he's going to know how to, to stop that he's going to force them into doing things that that they don't really want to do and you know I, I just I'm not really liking the spot for for Tyrod Taylor I know if because a lot of people might be looking at the full season metrics for New England and their past defense is still going to come out rated pretty poorly but they have not been giving up production in the past game recently got a couple of lucky breaks with the, you know, some turn some teams turning the ball over down in the red zone or on their side of the field and whatnot. But um, that's just part of it. You know, they, they can force turns. They do have that secondary that's, that's starting to play well. And uh, against this bills team where you know you just had Tyrod Taylor get benched a few games ago for a guy that then came in and threw five picks and a half. And now Tyrod Taylor's back. Um, I don't necessarily think that a flawed quarterback like this is a, is a guy that I want to target, against these Patriots. The only thing I'll say is the Patriots do play a lot of man coverage and that's that's usually beneficial to a mobile quarterback. So that's one positive for Taylor that maybe he can get some rushing yards going. But again, Belichick knows this and um I, I think at this point it's gonna be a really tough go for the, the Buffalo Bills, uh, in this game even though they're at home.
1: Yeah, I mean you know it's hard to rack up that rushing yardage and garbage time when the Patriots run like the most beautiful like five or six minute drill you've ever seen just like absolutely kill the clock. Uh, I mean, not, you know, that's obviously one situation that could occur here as far as the end of that game is concerned, but I do expect the Patriots to have a lead. And when that tends to occur, like I said, they, they do tend to, you know, they, they, they won't be allowing too much garbage time for the bills here. I, I do not like the bills this week. I do not like Tyrod Taylor. So I'm in agreement there. Warren from a defensive perspective, who could struggle this week?
3: Well, um, I'm not sure what his status is right now but because uh, I know he was on the injury report with the illness, but I'm I'm like completely selling to Marco Murray, um, doing some research on him. You know, just his efficiency on the early downs has been terrible. Um, I, I really think that they need to go with Derrick Henry much more often. Um, and I think that the Tennessee Titans, you know, for them to be favored by seven points here, I think is a little bit... Much, and this is where you definitely have to divorce yourself from the bias. Like, I hate Tom Savage, I I really do not like um, him as a starting quarterback, but uh, he's been playing better and he did have a couple of very difficult defenses that he's faced. Um, This Tennessee Titans defense is not very good, and I can definitely see Houston having a little bit more success offensively in terms of controlling the clock, um, which would obviously hurt the prospects of Tennessee having tons of opportunities to just call run plays. And while they will inevitably use DeMarco Murray here, um, I think that they, I, I don't think he's going to be quite as productive, quite as successful. Um, and so I'm just, I'm just selling DeMarco Murray. That's a thats
1: a pretty damn good sell. If you ask me, uh, hasn't looked good passing the eye test and certainly Derek Henry uh, metrically looking a little bit better than him right now, but Hey, if you're Tennessee, just keep running the ball. Let's not bother using uh, the talented weapons they have in the passing game enough. Let's make sure that we withhold the skills of Marcus Mariota and make sure we run that uh, exotic smashmouth scheme until we're bored to absolute tears.
3: I mean, you've got uh, you've got uh, you've got Dion Lewis priced at 6,300 on FanDuel, and Demarco Murray is 6,200. You know, he's the same price as starting running backs in the Oakland-New York Giants game. You know, both uh, Marshawn Lynch and um, Orleans Darkwell are 6,200. So I just I just don't see him um, getting to that level, but obviously could be wrong.
1: Anything can happen, but don't play DeMarco Murray. All right, Chris, let's take a look at the chalk this week. Uh, interestingly, you know, with, with more games on the slates, 13 and 14 games, it leads to situations where things get spread out just a little bit more. Then we've seen in some of these shorter slates a little bit more opportunity to find low owned players in a situation like this. A position like quarterback, I expect to be very spread out in terms of ownership. I don't, I mean, that's always the case, but I think that'll be even more the case than usual just because there's so many cheap quarterbacks to go to and some of these higher dollar quarterbacks, as you mentioned, not in you know, tremendous value spots. So I don't expect there to be a ton of chalk at the quarterback position. Running back and wide receiver, I think you could see a little bit different story. Let's talk about the chalk this week. Where have you found value in the guys that are available at the high ownership
2: levels? Value. I mean, I really like Deandre Hopkins. I think he's going to be high owned, but I think he should be. I mean, he's averaging over 12 targets per game with Tom Savage. Probably we'll see a lot of Adoree Jackson who has actually played well for, for the Titans. But um, I just don't really think you're stopping uh, Hopkins at this point. I mean, we saw him score a touchdown on Patrick Peterson, from Tom Savage, so it seems like the only person that was really ruining DeAndre Hopkins was Brock Osweiler. Um, DeAndre Hopkins has produced at pretty astronomical levels, going back to guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick, Brian Hoyer, um, now Tom Savage. Of course, of course, he was with Deshaun Watson, but um, I think this is just another good spot for him. I, you know, he's averaging. He's had two 200-yard games with Tom Savage in these last four starts, averaging about 100 yards per game with Savage. So. I don't see any reason to fade him. Um, One one kind of probably be somewhat chalky just because of their high implied total is the Chargers. I'm a little concerned about their passing game. Not that I don't think they can be efficient, but just because they rank 27th in pass defense DVOA. However, they still haven't allowed a 300-yard passer all season. They're allowing only 31.3 pass attempts per game. So you could just see kind of some muted volume out of of this – San Diego pass offense. and They're going to have to be ruthlessly efficient. They're going to. Philip Rivers probably going to need that three touchdown game um, because just because the the the, uh, the Browns have been kind of limiting the, the yardage for these passes, they have people haven't really teams haven't really been needing to to throw the ball a lot because you're getting you're kind of building a, a lead on this team. So um, from that perspective, I, I think that it could be a little bit of a trap. You know, Rivers and Allen both priced up a lot, and that that's really kind of the issue too is that. You know, under normal circumstances, you have a great matchup like or a good matchup like this, and you can kind of take advantage of the pricing. But the sites kind of adjusted and put Phillip Rivers and Keenan Allen at, at the top end of of their positions in terms of salary, and I think that's you know could be a little bit of a trap just because of of the way Cleveland ha- has been going so far. Now, I think it will improve a little bit if we, if Casey Hayward, who left the team for personal reasons, if he misses the game, and we do have Josh Gordon back for Cleveland, so. We could see maybe a, a better Cleveland offense than we've seen in the past. I know Deshaun Kaiser has, has been a little better lately, so that that's a positive. But I'm not liking these prices for for Rivers and Allen this week.
1: Yeah. By the way, Cleveland, let's get Dave and Joku in the mix more too. I mean, you've got all these weapons. I mean, obviously, I I don't expect the Charger, the the Browns to have a tremendous game here, but just uh, with Josh Gordon back, if there was some, if for whatever reason some defensive absence. as you mentioned Casey Hayward potentially missing a uh, tragic story uh, you know some reason to believe that what you're saying with Rivers and Allen struggling could be, could be the case here in this game due to lack of volume Warren when you take a look at some of the injury situations out there you know we could potentially be without some packer running backs that would make Jamal Williams amongst the chalk this week you're going to be looking at Kenyon Drake owned on some sites in the DFS world out there you might even see Melvin Gordon with higher ownership uh, Do the Chargers total? You'll see Mike Evans and Cooper Cup, Brandon Cooks, uh, Jared Cook. Double whammy of being highly owned, and he looks like Beetlejuice from the Howard Stern show. You know, you got the the Jaguars D. You know, of any of these chalk guys, anyone stand
3: out to you as an interesting spot for value this week? Yeah, I think chalk for me, and I'll be Tom Brady. I just, I just think his spot is too good to pass up. Um, I will say that I kind of agree with Chris's take on. Philip Rivers, although I don't know what your guys' opinion of this being chalk or not, um, because I'm shocked as I'm scrolling down here trying to find where Hunter Henry is priced. Uh, but Cleveland, obviously, terrible against uh, tight ends, and um, you know they're very good against run defense, so I do think Melvin Gordon is going to have a difficult go at it. Uh, I think they will have to throw the ball a little bit, um, and if Philip Rivers is struggling to hit Keenan Allen, I mean Hunter Henry is the guy. Now, it's hard as hell to anticipate the usage rate that he's going to get. Um, so maybe that's why he's priced as low as he is, but I think he's got some cer- certain upside there for sure.
1: I mean, if Hunter Henry has not got it done this week, it's definitely because uh, he just didn't get that volume because, you know, as Chris mentioned, there's some schematic uh, things that the Browns do that should theoretically lead to tight ends getting more targets. And if tight ends get more targets, Hunter Henry's one of the most efficient tight ends on the market these days. A lot of reasons to believe that he could have success. He actually will be kind of chalky, I think, Warren. So I don't know that he will be completely unowned, especially because of those price tags on the DFS sites. But like I said, I think people are going to be looking at Jared Cook with the elevated volume. We're going to be looking at Gronk with the homecoming narrative and the fact that he's, well, he's Gronk, uh as being highly owned guys in DFS this week. But Hunter Henry may go a little bit through the cracks. I don't expect him to be super low owned out there on the marketplace. Chris, when you talk about guys who are going to be low owned, though, there's going to be plenty of those big slates. Who's interesting to you?
2: I think Stephon Diggs is really interesting. Um, you know, there's a lot of receivers. You, you mentioned Cooper Cut. We know Robbie Anderson is going to get a lot of ownership kind of in that price range as well. Devontae Adams, too. So just because of all these other truck wide receivers kind of in the same price range as Stephon Diggs, I think his ownership is going to be held in check. Then you got to remember that people are also going to be looking at Adam Thewin, who's been a monster of this whole season. So, uh, but I think the key w- for Diggs is that Desmond Trufant The Falcons top outside cornerback and top cornerback period is looking like he's going to miss this game. He's in the concussion protocol. It doesn't look like he's going to be cleared in time, barring a big surprise there. So, I mean, Trufant has been their best cornerback, and he's out of their top three. He's allowed the fewest targets 48 targets, lowest passer rating, just 85.0. So, you know, Diggs, even though he's taken kind of a backseat a little bit. Adam Thielen this year still ranks uh, 13th in FanDuel points per game among receivers, 17th in DraftKings points per game amongst receivers. You know, we saw him have already the two monster games earlier this season, two two touchdown games in the first three weeks. And I think in in this game uh, against Atlanta, I think you're going to, you know, you have a situation where Case Keenum doesn't really take many sacks, has been over 280 yards in four straight games. He can get the ball to these guys. He can get the ball to, to digs, and you know, defenses can't just double digs because you got to worry about Adam Thielen. He's moving all around the formation. So I think this is a spot where we can see Diggs kind of kind of have another one of those uh, spiked, spiked weeks, and, uh, and it won't be at crazy ownership just because there's so many other receivers that people are going to want to own in that price range as well.
1: Call back to earlier in the show Playoff Factors Matrix, SharpFootballStats.com, the case Keenum. Minnesota Vikings, number four. Uh, if you expect that there's going to be some secondary issues for the Falcons with Trufant out, and it looks like Brian Poole hasn't practiced. I, I think he might play, but if he doesn't play either, I mean, forget it. Uh, Case Keenum Vikings could be in a pretty decent spot here. Uh, that could be interesting. Uh, I, th- I think they're indoors, too, right? They're in Atlanta?
2: Yeah, and that's, a, that's always a good spot for, for, for fast guys like Diggs. Um, You know, d going to get his no matter what, Um, but yeah, Poole Poo looks like he has a back injury, hasn't practiced. Um, they do expect him to play, but um banged up so that's another thing to watch
1: all right warren under the radar so or you could call them just a spot where you think we could find some unusual value in dfs this week where, what have you found for us
3: um one guy chris actually mentioned but uh, i think his uh his partner in crime his his twin brother with the same first name the both of the, the both the devontes this week, I like Devontae Adams and I like Devontae Parker. Um, I think if you got um, Devontae Parker down in Miami, look, it's not sexy. Nobody's going to be on this guy. They're playing – well, I don't know who am I to say, but I don't think many people would be on him. They're playing the Denver Broncos' pass defense, but they're without a keep to lead. Chris Harris probably is going to line up in this slot – Uh, try to neutralize Jarvis Landry. Um, I think there's opportunities, especially with Miami. They're going to have to throw the ball a lot here. It's a good run defense, and that's the weakness of Miami. They've gotten a little, is the run offense. Um, They've gotten a little bit more uh, towards the pass. Now they get Jay Cutler back. Um, So I'm thinking that Devontae Parker could have a little bit of value, and and I do like um, Devontae Adams' chemistry with um, Brett Hundley has been good, and, and we talked about this from the top of the show, the uh, defenses, the past defenses that uh, Green Bay and Huntley have faced have been just a murderer's row. And now they get to face one of the worst in the NFL. So um, I-, I like both the Devontae brothers.
1: I think you might have inspired me to make a little bit of an edit to my wide receiver cornerback analysis on com this week in the sense that I looked at Parker and, you know, based on alignment, like a lot of his snaps are going to be probably against Bradley Roby, but I don't, I don't think it's going to be – all of the snaps that he'll see in this game. And if if it's him or Stills, it's going to see Roby. And whichever one doesn't see Bradley Roby is probably in a pretty good spot, like you said, as far as the matchups are concerned this week. So I think that's interesting. I want to make that edit that, you know, that basically mentions that Parker could be in a good spot here. You know, if he's not seeing, you know, 70, 80% of his routes run in the coverage of a guy like Roby. And even if he does, he's actually talented enough that he could, he could even find some success anyway. So I, I don't want him, you know, I don't want to make uh, that sound like he's in a bad spot here, like I did in my article. I'm going to go make that edit. But other than that, I think you make a great point on Devontae Adams specifically. What, you right,
3: what the- do
2: you think of that one, uh, Parker? I think, I think, I think it's well. Parker. So I think Parker is in a better spot just because Cutler. Um, if Cutler's going to be back, Cutler tended to favor Parker more, whereas I think Matt Moore had a better rapport with Kenny Still. So that's like another thing. Again, we don't like Chris said though. We don't. We don't know exactly you know, what's going to happen, who's going to line up on Roby more. I mean, Roby's their third best corner. He's still pretty good. Um, Chris Howard will probably line up outside in two wide sets. Um, so that's another thing. It's, it's a complicated scenario. But, I mean, just I, I, I do think I agree. I think Parker will be lower owned because he'll probably be at like 1%. Yeah. Um, he'll be lower owned by, by far than the probability of him having a big game. So, yeah, I, I'm on board with that.
1: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, and that's why I said I want to. I, I'm going to do a little bit of backtracking here. That's all I'm trying to say. I think you've convinced me, Warren, that you know this isn't as bad a spot as I initially thought uh, for specifically Devontae Parker.
3: What are um, you and, saying and about Adams? Is
1: so Adams, I mean, you take a look at what's going on there in Tampa Bay. I mean, forget it. I mean, he's going to be probably lined up with like Ryan Smith a lot of the time. You know, you know Robert McClain would slide out to the outside, which would probably be even better for Adams if, like, Hargraves plays. But if Hargraves doesn't play, it's probably going to be, you know, a lot of Ryan Smith. And certainly I think that Adams is hashtag good and could beat Brent Grimes any day of the week anyway. So I'm not even concerned if he ends up seeing a lot of coverage from Brent Grimes. And that secondary as a whole, you know, just does not rate well in any stretch of the imagination. Every macro metric I looked at looked bad for the Buccaneers, every micro matchup, as far as the cornerbacks is concerned, look bad. We see Brett Hundley displaying some talent last week. I mean, it's just a situation where you know, I said it before the season started, I thought Devontae Adams might emerge ahead of Jordy Nelson this year anyway. We're seeing that a little bit, and I think you know, I don't think that's a detriment to Jordy Nelson as much as it is a credit to how good Devontae Adams really is. If you look at your uh, target and output adjusted success uh, your tours metric, Dante Adams, is you know, soaring towards the top, just like he did last year. I absolutely love him as a player and I, I couldn't love this spot too much
2: more for him uh, this week. Rayvon, any thoughts on Devonte Adams? Yeah, I think, you know, he, if you look at Brett Humley this season, Brett Humley has had 182 pass attempts. 52 of them have gone to Devonte Adams. That's, that's 28.7%. So that's by far the team lead. That's a, it's a lot of targets. Um, on those 52 targets to Adams, Hunley's averaging 8.0 yards per attempt on his 130 other pass attempts. He's averaging 5.9 yards per attempt. So I think Hunley Adams is kind of the stack that you want to kind of build around to start with. I mean, I could see Jordy Nelson having a good game. I could see Randall Cobb having a good game. This defense has not been good and it's not really a tough defense to, to beat. They, they're going to play some zone and, you know, a veteran like Nelson or Cobb, they can definitely find the soft spots, but Adams is really what makes Hunley go And um, I think the matchup is great. I think he, I mean, he's been, he's had five or more catches in each of the four games after the bye um, with Hundley kind of situated in here. Um, He scored twice and, uh, you know, he also caught a touchdown. He's caught three of Hundley's touchdowns. No other Packer has more than one. So um, I really like Adams in this spot. I think he'll be um, owned highly. And, but I think rightfully so. I think he's in a really good spot really breaking out this year. He was kind of doing that even with Aaron Rodgers. He was breaking out. Um, you know, kind of – Jordy Nelson was still catching a lot of touchdowns, but Adams was kind of being that, that go-to guy. I think we saw Xavier Rhodes shadow Adams in uh, the, the first meeting with Minnesota earlier this year, which is kind of telling. So, um, like Devontae Adams this week as well.
1: Excellent stuff, guys. Once again, that's going to do it for our show here in week 13. One more time before we check out, uh, go to sharpfootballanalysis.com, sharpfootballstats.com, uh, and get – all, all the incredibly valuable information that Warren has to offer on his website. Uh, if you're interested in some deep analysis, some unique metrics, and some overall great content uh, from NFL specifics, you can go to 444.com and check out uh, what Ray and the team is doing over there from a DFS perspective and really from a football perspective in general. And also, of course, Rotogrinders.com, Rotogrinders Premium, uh, get your information for football, basketball, golf, all the sports, uh, one rate, and, and you get a lot of value from your subscription fees uh, when you come over to RotoGrinders. Hang with us in Premium. That's going to do it for the show. Best of luck in all of your contests for Warren for Chris. I'm Chris. We'll be back week 14.